We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is censorship and cancel culture, the silencing of any ideas that the ruling class feels are inappropriate, and the protection of their sacred orthodoxy. Even the liberals, the honest ones, are starting to see they've created a monster and it's turning around to bite them. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. As you know, I've spent the majority of this week talking about Angelo Cotavella's book, The Ruling Class. I've shared with you several excerpts from this book. I've read a couple paragraphs. I've summarized his key points. That the ruling class, the elites, those people in Washington, D.C., in New York City, those people in Hollywood, those people who are at the head of our major corporations, now are not going to tolerate you anymore. They will not have their opinions questioned in the public square. They will not tolerate any of your intolerance. They've demonstrated that if you're hateful, they will hate you enough to silence you and to cancel you, to essentially treat you as if you don't exist. And some people on the left are actually starting to see this for what it is. I've admired people for the last couple of years who are politically left. They disagree with me on a lot, but they recognize something is wrong. Their soul is not so seared that they are blind to the reality around them. I believe their worldview is broken. I believe their worldview led to this mess. For example, Bill Maher. Bill Maher is being honest about cancel culture. He's confronting the snowflakes. He's telling these juvenile adults to grow up and recognize that an uncomfortable idea isn't all that bad that you can't just throw a temper tantrum in the grocery store aisle by laying down on the floor and kicking your feet and screaming until mom comes and gives you a $1 plastic toy to silence you. You can't do that when you're 20 years old, 25 years old, 30, 35, 40. You can't do that. Or at least you shouldn't be able to do that. But unfortunately, in today's social media climate, Google and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube are silencing even those on the left that they disagree with. And some of these people, like Bill Maher, I would say Dave Rubin is among the converts, some of these people are waking up and recognizing, we've got a problem here. Now, I think they need to take it a step further, look in their mirror and realize that the worldview they've imbibed, the killing of truth, the devaluing of biblical truth, truth with a capital T, revelation, self-evident truths endowed to us by our Creator, 
The besmirching of that very concept led us to where we are right now. The subtitle of my bestseller, Not a Daycare, is what? The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. We have this daycare of a mindset in our culture right now where all of us are being treated as children, and it's only those couple supervisors, if you will, the adults at the daycare that have the right to define the rules and to enforce the rules, and the rest of us will be treated as thoughtless little preschoolers. That's the fact right now. These people consider you to be too immature and too stupid to be able to make up your own mind and make your own decisions and decide what to watch on YouTube and what not to, decide what news you should be viewing. And the story I'm going to share with you after the break is one of Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat who ran for the president, ran for the nomination of the president on the Democrat ticket this last go-around. You know that. She has come out and she has criticized the Biden administration's current approach to the war in Ukraine. She's criticized that. And I'm going to play the full clip for you. And Google and YouTube have tried to shut it down because they find it offensive. I'll let you listen. You decide if what this Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard, is saying is dangerous and offensive. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. What I want to do right now is play a audio clip of a interview between Laura Ingram and Tulsi Gabbard, where Tulsi Gabbard criticized the Biden administration for their handling of the Russia-Ukraine war. And I want you to listen to this and ask yourself a question. What is it that she's saying that is dangerous, profane, hateful, bigoted? What is she saying that's wrong? Has anybody challenged her that disagrees with her in an open forum? Why would anybody feel that this should be censored and that the American people should not be able to read or hear this. I want you to listen right now. The thing that the Biden administration has done has helped to make this situation better, has helped to de-escalate the situation, which is why the only conclusion that I can draw about why they have been completely silent and not engaging at all on this window of opportunity that uh, President Zelensky opened last night is that what is happening before our eyes right now is exactly what they want to see continue. Uh, why is that? Because it's good for the, the military-industrial complex. It, it makes these politicians uh, look tough. And, and really, you know, it, it allows them to have this proxy war with Russia, something that Hillary Clinton laid out uh, just recently. Really what their aims are, this, this war machine, this power elite in Washington, is they want to turn Ukraine into another Afghanistan, turn into these killing fields where this long-term insurgency is supported, and they bleed out and, and, and cripple, uh, kill as many Russians as possible for who knows who knows how long. And, and they're really showing their real aim in the fact that they're not taking action right now to end this conflict. Now, it might not surprise you since you just mentioned it, but Hillary Clinton is indeed back on the war wagon, watch. If you care about freedom, if you care about democracy, if you care about uh, the rights of uh, individuals, uh, if you care about our future, uh, even though it's a war that is happening uh, far away, 
it is a war that will affect um, what kind of world we're going to live in. The Ukrainians are really, and I would argue, fighting for all of us. Tulsi, so they're fighting for Americans in Ukraine. What? Who's people like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they all use this flowery language about how, you know, we've got to take a stand and pay the price. The American people need to pay, you know, so much more for gas, so much more for food, make those decisions between filling their gas tank and buying groceries because freedom the question that we should all be asking them is, okay, uh, tell us how Russia somehow has the power to take away our freedom of speech here in America. Tell us how Russia has the power to take away uh, the, the freedom and rights of parents who want to you know, make sure their kids are getting a quality education. Uh, tell us how Russia has the power somehow to take away our right to bear arms, the rights that are enshrined in our Bill of Rights. The answer to these is they don't. They don't have that power. No, so the, the lines that we're being sold, it's it's just crap, Laura. It's no. crap. And sadly, their actions are resulting in more and more people suffering rather than being leaders and de-escalating this and bringing about an end to this war. Yeah, we have our own politicians eroding our constitutional rights every day, and we see exactly. it on the Supreme Court as well. Tulsi, great to see you tonight, as always. Thank you. Okay, so that's an interview between Tulsi Gabbard and Laura Ingram. As you listen to that, you tell me this. What did Tulsi Gabbard say that was inappropriate, that was dangerous, that was a compromise to our national security, that was offensive in any way to somebody because of race or gender? What did she say that was bigoted or hateful? And, and your answer is obvious, nothing. She said nothing like that. So why would YouTube and Google censor her? and take that down. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they have somebody debate her? Why wouldn't they respond to her and say, we disagree, and here's why? You may disagree as you're listening to her comments and say, well, I don't think she's right in terms of her response to Russia. I don't think negotiation, as she's suggesting, would be the most productive strategy. You could do that. I could do that. But we have the responsibility to engage her, debate her, argue with her, and try to prove that she's wrong and we're right. That's the way adults engage in these disagreements. We don't just plug our ears and say, no, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you, which is exactly what Google and YouTube are doing. They don't like what this Democrat is saying because it breaks the liberal narrative. She's breaking rank. She won't obey the elites. She's poking a stick in the eye of the ruling class of Kamala Harris, of Joe Biden, of the Democrat Party, of Hillary Clinton. She's poking an eye, excuse me, poking a stick in the eye of the ruling class. And she's saying, no, I disagree with your control of this particular narrative, of this particular story. You're misleading the American people, and I'm going to tell them my view of this. And we have these people in Silicon Valley. We have these people in their glass towers who are telling us we can't even listen to her. This is absurd. This is a compromise of everything that a free people should understand as one of our basic rights, our basic rights, the right to free speech. And don't give me this nonsense about, well, she has the right to her free speech. She just doesn't have the right to be heard. Now, 
If you're silencing people, if you're censoring them, if you're canceling them, if you're deplatforming them, that is not consistent with free speech. That is government control. That is the ruling class deciding what all of the other folks can and cannot hear. This is Orwellian. This is Winston going about his daily tasks in the Ministry of Truth, where he works, the Ministry of Truth. I say with quotation marks because you know the story. The Ministry of Truth is really a ministry of lies. His job is to cut out the truth of the daily news and paste in the government-approved narrative, which often is the exact opposite, the antithesis of what was real and what was true. That's what Google is doing. That's what YouTube is doing. That's what Facebook is doing. That's what Twitter is doing. And the elites, the ruling class, approve of it hook, line, and sinker. All of them approve of it because it protects their power. I'm going to share another clip from you. Now, this one is from a guy named James Melville. James Melville. I don't know who he is. I just stumbled across his tweet. And here's what he says in his tweet. And then I'm going to play the audio clip that is embedded therein. He says, as a left-winger, I haven't changed my beliefs, but I am increasingly concerned by how the old inclusiveness of the left is now being bastardized by a toxic cancel culture. This is giving authoritarian governments and greedy corporates exactly what they want, divide and rule. Close quote. That's his tweet. James Melville. Again, I don't know who he is, but he defines himself, he identifies as a left-winger. Now, I responded and reposted this because I agree with him. I agree with his concern, at least. I don't agree with his leftist worldviews. And I think, again, these people on the progressive left need to look in the mirror and recognize that they're the ones that have created this monster. They are the Dr. Frankensteins. They've pieced together this subhuman existence. They've tried to make something that looks like them, that's the image of its creator, because they have this God complex that they can define what's up and what's down, what's true and what's false, what's good and what's evil, what's human and what's not. They're the ones that have put us in this predicament, and they don't realize that this monster that they, as Dr. Frankenstein, have created at their own hand, because of their own arrogance, is, is now turning around to consume them, to bite them, to pursue them, and even kill them. I, th I think they're afraid of the monster, but I don't think they recognize that it was created in their own laboratories. My response when I retweeted this was, another honest progressive who is saying, at least saying, that new wave leftism, i.e. wokeism, is a monster that is turning on its master. And I hashtagged it Frankenstein. Now, I want you to listen to the audio clip here of James Melville and what he has to say, what he has to say that elaborates on his concern about the censorship and the authoritarian government and the greedy corporates that are getting exactly what they want, divide and rule. Listen to this in the context of the earlier commentary in this week's shows on the ruling class. Here's James Melville. Good evening, all. 
This one's about woke culture. Now, I have been a lifelong lefty. I have a massive problem with poverty, discrimination, inequality, the fact that we've got a set of bad governments who are repeatedly not acting in the best interests of the majority of people in this country, combined with a set of technocrats and bad corporates who seem to be exploiting a crisis or a disaster or a war. If you look at COVID or even what's going on in the Ukraine, the only winners in all of this are certain types of governments and corporates who will exploit the situation for their own means, either because of control, asset grabs, or their own wealth, feathering their own nests. And the frustrating thing for me as a lefty is these are, th these are things that I will always have an issue with. But it seems to me that the new wave of leftism, which is now called wokeism, are picking these campaigns that in a way are helping the corporates, helping the technocrats and helping bad governments. Instead of them taking a step back and looking at those issues and thinking the issue themselves, whether it's COVID or Ukraine, are appalling issues. But they should be thinking about the whole issue in the round and thinking about who is actually benefiting from it. And in each case, the only winners in a disaster are these bad governments and corporates and technocrats. I've been called all kinds of things in the last year or so for taking a stand against lockdowns and restrictions, usually called grifter or shill or right wing. I'm not. I've stayed the same. And the sad thing is, while I've stayed the same, it feels that elements on the left have moved in a different direction. It's about time that we harness the benefits of the left together. Okay, sorry for the abrupt ending of that recording. That's just the way it was posted on his Twitter. But you got the point. This man who defines himself as a lifelong lefty, somebody who cares about the poor, somebody who cares about justice, somebody who cares about the oligarchs oppressing those underneath them, Some who, someone who cares about incompetent government, I care about all those things. That's one of the things, sidebar on this, it's one of the things that really, really frustrates me, and it should frustrate you, is when people that are left of center, those that challenge you for your conservative views, want to suggest that because you're conservative, you don't care about poverty, you don't care about justice, you don't care about the underprivileged, you don't care about equality, that you don't care about any of this stuff, that you're nothing but a selfish conservative. And that somehow selfishness and conservatism are synonymous. They go hand in hand in glove. That's just a straw man argument. I don't know one conservative. I don't know one thoughtful conservative who isn't concerned about poverty, who doesn't care about justice, who doesn't want equality, who doesn't believe in individual dignity and human freedom. I don't know one conservative that just poo-poos any of those ideas and considers them to be secondary. It's not that we disagree with each other on these things being priorities and problems that need to be solved. We disagree about the methods. We don't disagree about the message per se. 
I mean, I'm a biblical Christian. I believe what the Bible says, and Jesus, as well as the prophets, tell us that we need to be concerned. We need to be caring. We need to be self-sacrificial for the sake of the orphan and the widow. We need to care about those that are underprivileged. We need to give 10% of our income so that the church can help those people. It's not about the government solving the problem. It's about us taking responsibility for it and doing something about it rather than washing our hands and cleansing our conscience of it by saying that I'm paying taxes to get that stuff done. There's a difference here, not in the identification of the problem or the concern for it. I care about poverty. I want there to be less of it. But I believe the solution here is not to give the government more control Because the government is always going to be corrupt. The more power you give it, the more corrupt it becomes. I don't think the solution, conservatives don't think the solution to this stuff, to these problems, is more government. I think it's more personal responsibility. Or say it this way, conservatives don't believe in no government. They believe in less government in local government, and in a sense, local government, local control, local responsibility could be described as a little bit more government rather than less because more people get involved and take responsibility for their neighborhoods, for their communities, for the poor, for the underprivileged, for the problems that exist in their own backyard. You push the responsibility back to the community. You stop telling them as the ruling class how to solve these problems. You give these people the responsibility for coming together and doing what they're supposed to do as neighbors. And you develop a tax structure and a system around it, a communication network that encourages that, rewards that, and holds people accountability within that. I'm running for county commissioner right now. I'm going to small little burgs across my district, across District 1 in Osage County. And a lot of these small little oil patch towns are rather downtrodden. They're not getting any attention from the government. The County seat doesn't care about their roads. That's the constant refrain. We never get any attention. Our roads are falling apart. Our ditches have trees in them. Nobody even comes out to clear the trees. Nobody comes out when we have an ice storm. We're left out here in Whippoorwill or Bowring or whatever other oil patch town in Osage County, Oklahoma. We're left out here with nobody caring about us. The government doesn't care. We've paid our taxes, but they don't care. And you know what? They've got a legitimate point. They have paid their taxes, and nobody's listening to them. Nobody cares because the ruling class doesn't care about the country class. They're not going to listen to the folks of Whipperwell. But here's the solution. You create committees of people within those communities, Whipperwell, Bowering, Scheidler, Barnsdall. You create communities in Winona and Pahuska and McCord, you create committees, I should say, not communities, committees. The community is already there. You create committees in these communities where you have people that take responsibility for coming together on a monthly basis and identifying the problem, being very specific about it, and then making sure that those in the county seat, the county commissioner, for example, knows of their concerns, meets with them, 
tells them what kind of money is available to solve the problem, and then identifies the strategy, the time frame, to do something about it. Or if there's not enough money there, you explain to the people, you close the loop, and you let them know what can be done within the existing budget. This is not rocket science. Any eighth grader should be able to figure this out. Is that less government or is that more government that's just diffused down to the country class rather than the power being assumed by the ruling class? Do you get my point? You're never going to solve the problem with more ruling class authority. The only way to solve the problem is to diffuse the authority, push the responsibility down to the people who want, who, they want it. They want it. This is not a roads problem. This is a people problem. This is a communication problem. This is a problem between the ruling class and the country class. The ruling class thinking that they don't even have to pay attention to those poor rubes that live in the small little towns of Oklahoma. I've actually heard that it's been said in the county seat, in the halls of power, that, well, if they don't like it, just let them move. I've actually heard that that's been said. If they don't like it, just let them move. That's arrogance. That's the ruling class not listening to the people. It's more government centralized that breeds nothing but corruption and power. Rather than diffusing the government to more people and expecting them to take responsibility for communicating their own concerns. My point is this. This leftist's view of censorship and how to solve it, the only way to solve it is to trust the people. Let them talk. Let them debate. Let them argue. Let them identify their problems and priorities. Don't censor Tulsi Gabbard. Don't censor this guy that I just played his clip of. He's a leftist. I disagree with him. I disagree with Bill Maher. I disagree with Tulsi Gabbard's party. I don't know why she affiliates with the party. She seems to be so out of step with it. I disagree with Manchin's affiliation with the Democrat party, but I'm not going to silence or censor any of these people. I'm not going to cancel them. I want to discuss things with them, and I'm not going to cancel or censor the people or people of Whippoorwill or Bowering, Oklahoma. I want to hear what they have to say. You should want to hear what they have to say. That's the way you solve problems. It's called communication. And communication that's honest and clear is the exact opposite of cancel culture and censorship. Of wokeism. Do you want to be right or do you want to be woke? Because if you accept being woke, there's no such thing as being right. Because the ruling class is going to define everything. They're the ones who decide what's right. Because you gave away all of your authority, all of your freedom, for the sake of a mess of pottage. Just to be woke, and just to be taken care of by the ruling class. They're not even going to allow you to hear what Tulsi Gabbard has to say anymore. Because they don't care what you have to say. Proof? When's the last time they came in your neighborhood to listen to you? My guess is never. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.